What would your life look like if you felt confident in your body and in your health habits? We believe that confidence is possible for all people. This is the Free Method Podcast, and I'm your host, Dylan Murphy, registered dietitian and owner of Free Method Nutrition. We are dedicated to empowering women to make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. Come hang with us each week as we have conversations that will inspire you to live a life of freedom. Let's dive into today's show. Welcome back to another episode of Free Method Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Michelle Schrader. Um, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about beef. Yes, we are excited to have you here and yeah, really haven't even dove into a conversation like this on the podcast, but I feel like it's something throughout different episodes we've kind of like touched on a little bit here and there. So I'm excited to have like an episode solely catered to this. Um, But yeah, for our listeners, tell us a little bit more just about you, kind of what your day looks like, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, So my name is Michelle Schrader, like you said, and Mm -hmm. I am a first generation beef farmer. So my grandparents were farmers. My parents left farming, um, but I always knew I wanted to come back. So I went to college to study animal science and ag business and met my husband there. Actually, their first class, the very first day, we sat at the same table and became really fast friends and Uh then got married a few weeks after we graduated. So. I moved to the Finger Lakes region of New York, where his family's farm is. He's a fourth generation farmer, at least. Um, So now we have a cow calf operation, which means we have like the real definition of a cow is a a mature female bovine who is raising or who produces offspring for either milk or meat. So we have beef cows and we keep our cows and finish them. And then my in-laws own a USDA meat processing facility. So we send our cows there. They harvest, um, cut, package all the meat, send it back to us. And then my husband and I sell it um, directly to the consumer. So I guess the last thing I'll say is our cows are pasture raised and grain supplemented. So what that really means is they're on pasture, like free range outdoors, And we send samples of our forages, forages, grass, and hay to a lab. And they tell us what nutrients are missing from the forage. Mm. Um, Because the majority of every cow's diet is grass or forage, hay, whether they're totally grass-fed or also Mm -hmm. grain-supplemented. But then a livestock nutritionist will tell us what nutrients are missing from from our forages and will create a special recipe for our cows. So Mm -hmm. our mother cow. Cows will get mostly um, grass and or hay, and then also a mineral mix, depending on what phase of gestation they're in. And then Mm -hmm. our steers are the cows we're finishing for beef, and they will get also get mostly grass and hay, and then a little bit of grain that we raise ourselves on our farm. Mm -hmm. So all this to say, um, the goal is for our customers to have peace of mind that the animals are raised really well um like they're really well cared for but also it's really important for them to know that the meat is also safe for them to eat Mm -hmm. and um so in between 
all the farm chores, feeding and watering cows, and we'll start calving here next month. We, I also like to educate and kind of share the other side of beef farming because I think it's really misrepresented and misunderstood. And I, it doesn't really matter to me what food decisions people make, what mm-hmm. they choose to eat. I just want them to make those decisions based on the truth. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I share, I like to share just the whole story of beef farming so they can make a decision based on the whole picture. Totally. Which I feel like is so important. And I talk to people about that all the time where, you know, if someone listening, like really genuinely feels conviction to be vegan, let's say like totally fine. But I really want people to be able to make informed decisions versus like, Oh, I saw this crazy documentary on Netflix and now I have to cut out all meat. When then if we look into like what the documentary is on Netflix, it's like, okay, well that was very biased and probably some fear mongering, maybe not all true. So let's like fear mongering. Yes. Oh, it's wild. Yeah. Um, so one thing you said, and we talked about this a bit, um, before we hit record to pasture raised. And I feel like there's so many things that we see on labels now, I think, especially with like me and even I think like eggs, poultry, all that sort of stuff. Um, and pasture raised is one of those. And so I'm curious what, like why that's important and like what the opposite of that would be like if they're not pasteurized what would that look like for them so a cow no matter if the cow is pasteurized grass-fed or grain-fed their life is really going to look very similar mm-hmm. up until like four to six months before harvest mm-hmm. so all cows and calves are going to be basically on pasture for six months so the calf will be with its mom drinking milk grazing eating hay whatever then Um, the calf will be weaned at about six to eight months of life. And then the calf is going to go to another pasture. It's called backgrounding and it's still going to be on pasture. Mm -hmm. And most cows will be harvested between uh, like 14 to 18 months of age. So that last four to six months of their life, they is where it kind of looks different. And a calf could go to a feedlot and, Mm -hmm eat grain, it's still going to eat grass and, Mm -hmm. or hay and grain. I guess if it's in a feedlot, it's eating hay and grain, Mm -hmm. or it could be in a feedlot and it could be eating only grass and hay. And it's still Mm -hmm. a grass fed, grass finished cow, but it's in a feedlot. Mm, Yes. So, or it could be in a pasture like our cows are Mm -hmm. eating grass and hay, but it's still in a large pasture or it could be in the pasture like ours are mostly eating grass and hay and also getting a little bit of grain. So yes, this is something a customer is concerned about. It's really helpful to go ask farmers questions about how it's raised because they farmers love to talk about cows. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. If you can't afford to buy meat directly from a farmer, because the truth is it can be more expensive. Mm -hmm. Just know that the meat in the grocery store was also raised by a farmer and it's still Mm -hmm. going to be safe for you to eat. Yeah. I think feedlots sometimes get a really bad rap and we don't Mm -hmm. personally use them because we have the space to have them on pasture and Mm -hmm. we just prefer to do it like that. Um, But a feedlot isn't always a scary 
as it seems. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you see those pictures and it looks like they're all crowded in together, eating Mm -hmm. out of one small bunk. Yeah. The reality is they have tons of space. It's just Mm -hmm. they're probably eating and that's the only place to eat. Yeah. So they're crowded around their feed, but in reality, they have tons of other space to roam and they're probably also outside. It's just not on grass. It's on concrete. Mm. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. So ask a farmer if you have questions Mm. or have a specific preference on how you want your meat raised. And then um, if you can't afford that, eat from the grocery store. It's still going to be safe. Yeah. And so then, and I know one thing you talk about a lot, which I think is really helpful and important is, you know, is eating beef ethical and environmentally sustainable. And I think that's a really hot topic now has been for the past few years of, you know, everyone is wanting, or maybe not everyone, but a lot of people are wanting to be just more conscious of the purchases they're making decisions, what they're eating, the products they're using, all that sort of stuff. Um, but then I think a lot of this, like we said earlier, also goes back to like, making sure you're properly informed of like, okay, that's great to that you want to make more ethical, more environmentally sustainable decisions, but let's make sure you actually are doing that. So yeah, I'm curious your thoughts on eating beef and if, yeah, that is ethical, if that is environmentally sustainable. Definitely. So within the umbrella of environmental sustainability, there are three common concerns that I see a lot, which is concerns about land use, concerns about greenhouse gas emissions, and then concerns about water use. And they're all kind of tied together. So I can just talk about land use first, and then we'll fold right into greenhouse gas emissions and then kind of end with water use. Yeah. Just last week, I was reading reading an article that proposed we take all grazing livestock off the land and replace it with Mm -hmm. crops as a solution to this climate crisis. And it's not the first time I've seen this proposed and it really intrigues me because as someone who does care about the environment and also I care a lot about human health, this is really not a viable solution. And I'll explain why Um, 60% of cattle are raised on marginal land. So this is land that's not suitable for growing crops. It could be too hilly, too steep, too rocky. The soil just may not be fertile enough to raise a productive crop. So this is where cattle and ruminants who have a unique digestive system really benefit us because they can go on that land and they can eat the dense fibrous forages that do grow here. And they can break it down and turn it into protein, which is so full of nutrients. Like the human body can't really digest these dense fibrous plants. It offers very little nutritional value to us. But then the beef cow can turn it into iron and so many Mm. micronutrients, B12 and all of the amino acids we need. It's so cattle are really doing us a favor. And in mm-hmm. fact, a dietitian named Diana Rogers, who talks about a study done, and I can't remember the name of the study, but it basically said if we removed all cows from the land and replaced it with crops, greenhouse gas emissions would only decrease by 2.6%. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. our 
um, carbohydrate, calorie consumption, and nutrient deficiencies would go up quite a bit. Wow. So you might be thinking, well, none of that matters if we leave cattle on the land, if they're just filling the climate up with methane and, mm-hmm. you know, killing the climate. Well, this is a really good point, and it's where I think cattle have really become a scapegoat for the climate crisis, and it's not totally accurate um, because yeah. beef cattle do contribute 2% to 2% of greenhouse gas emissions through methane, but what's interesting is that the methane produced by beef cattle is part of Earth's natural carbon cycle, right? So mm. the cow burps and releases methane, and then the methane in the atmosphere, it'll break down into carbon dioxide and water. And what do we know needs carbon dioxide and water to grow? Plants, right? Yeah. So the plants will take in the carbon dioxide through photosynthesis mm-hmm. and it'll give the plants energy to grow. Then the beef cow comes along, eats the grass, turns it into mm-hmm. protein that we can digest, and then burps again and releases more methane mm-hmm. and the cycle just continues. Mm-hmm. So um, what's really this is really good for us because not only is the cow turning the grass into protein that we can eat, but plants also release oxygen, which we breathe. Mm-hmm. It's sustainability is it's such a like broad topic, but cattle play a really important role in creating sustainable mm-hmm. life for us. Yeah. And the methane so different that um, cattle release is very different from like fossil fuels from vehicles and industry. So vehicles and industry are taking fossil fuels from the earth. Mm -hmm. They're releasing carbon that was trapped under the earth, using it for energy and releasing carbon into the atmosphere that was previously trapped and wasn't there. And Mm -hmm. it takes hundreds and hundreds, like nearly a thousand years for carbon released by transportation and industry to break down. Whereas methane, takes about 10 years. It's cycling through every 10 mm-hmm. years. So I'm not telling people not to drive their cars or use industry. Totally. I just think that cattle have become like the center of our attention and kind of the mm-hmm. scapegoat when mm-hmm. really they probably, it's probably not a good use of our time to focus on them when there are other areas yeah. where we can really make a big change. Yes. So, and because what I'm hearing there too is like cattle's actually doing more for the environment than we think versus other things out there where it's like, okay, our car maybe isn't doing a lot in terms of just the natural like cycles of our earth. And again, it's not like we all need to go out and sell our cars, but yeah, kind of like shifting your focus to something else besides just thinking about like, oh, it's, you know, this is the main problem. And cattle, there's, many studies out there and people researching and looking for ways that cattle may be a solution to the climate crisis and not necessarily mm-hmm. a cause of it. Yeah. But speaking of methane, uh, we just talked about how methane breaks down into water. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thinking you might be familiar with the poster in New York city schools. It's a big red poster and it has 10 bathtubs full of water on it. And then like a little hamburger. And basically Mm. the message is that it takes 10 bathtubs full of water to produce one hamburger. Mm -hmm. And 
think that this is also only sharing half the story because Mm -hmm. over 90% of the water that cows consume is water that would fall on pasture and grazing land, whether the cows were there or not. Mm. This isn't water that's directly being taken from people, from drinking water. And in fact, much of that water is going to be returned to the environment through urine, manure, and eventually Mm. That's a little different. And we can even compare it to like almonds, for example, another protein source. it takes about 400 gallons of water to produce one pound of almonds. That's about mm. one gallon of water per almond. That's mm. significant. Yeah. And it's also really significant because 80% of the world's almonds are grown in California where they're experiencing mm. extreme drought. Yeah. And the residents are struggling to have mm. enough drinking water. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying don't eat almonds. Totally. What I am saying is choosing a plant-based protein source to replace all beef, like almonds, really probably isn't going to be environmentally sustainable. Mm. Yeah, Um, that's so interesting. Where it's almost like you maybe think you're making a big impact, but you might be making even like a quote-unquote worse environmentally sound choice. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, so that just gives kind of like a full picture of mm-hmm. how water is used. And yeah, and I'm not mad at people who eat almonds or have totally. a plant-based It's just, yes. it's not going to be a good solution for the whole world. Yes. Yes. And it sounds to me too, like, again, if someone really feels conviction for like a vegan plant-based diet, really checking your motivation behind that, whether it's like, okay, I just genuinely feel better or I just prefer eating plant-based as opposed to eating animal protein versus more of the mindset of like, well, this is like so much more environmentally sustainable. This is more ethical, like all of that sort of stuff. Because a lot of what you're saying is like, well, it actually might not be. So like checking the facts. And then I think what can be great is like when you have more like, informed, accurate information, then you can assess like, okay, what feels right to me? Do I still want to stick with eating more plant-based? Do I want to stick with eating more animal protein? Like, how do I want that to look in my own life? But then you at least know I'm making a well-informed decision. Exactly. Yeah. Making a well-informed decision is key. Mm-hmm. And, but it's funny because when you kind of research this stuff, if you put it in Google, it's very, Mm -hmm. it's biased. Oh yeah. You don't really get the full picture. So, Mm -hmm. and I think this is where dietitians play a huge role Mm -hmm. is because people, you are the food experts, right? Mm -hmm. So when people are, have concerns, I would say, talk to farmers and talk to dietitians. They are the food experts. Those are the Mm -hmm. ones who can give you the full picture. Yeah. That's so good. Cause yeah. And I feel like with farmers too, you're getting to actually hear even how you were sharing, like what the process looks like when you're raising cattle and then like, you know, kind of the, like from start to finish where if you just Google, if you watch a documentary, that sort of thing, you're not going to hear from the actual source. Exactly. Hmm. And it's hard to know what really happens Hmm. unless you're in it. Yeah. 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 I totally get that. Um, what about, because you mentioned another thing that you're passionate about is just like the animal we- welfare aspect. 
of farming. Um, so I would love to hear a little about that as well. Yeah. So I, for us, animal welfare, it's just, it comes down to taking really good care of our animals. Cause the thing mm-hmm. is, um, there's always going to be a give and take, right? Like what I mean by that is we need nourishment to survive and there's always going to be death in order for us to have that nourishment. Mm-hmm. And as a farmer, I consider it a really great honor and a great responsibility if death is inevitable to give our animals the best life they can. Mm, and yeah. for us, that looks like if a cow needs antibiotics, we are going to give them a dose of antibiotics mm-hmm. because the truth is we have USDA inspectors who um, in, our, in our meat shop who are watching. They watch the harvest of every animal they take samples of the meat to make sure there's no antibiotic residue on the meat or it's under the allowable tolerance. And the real concern with antibiotics isn't that it's going to be in meat because the USDA inspectors are making sure it's not. And mm-hmm. if there ever was, the whole carcass is going to be destroyed. The farmer's not going to make any profit. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. The real concern with antibiotics is actually when animals pass it through through urine and manure into the environment and then the bacteria Mm -hmm. and the environment become resistant to it. So yeah, uh, you hear stories about farmers using regular antibiotics in order to um, make their cows or animals grow more efficiently and whatnot. I've actually never heard of a farmer doing that. We Mm, work with hundreds of farmers through the USDA meat shop that my in-laws own. Yeah. And we don't know of any farmers that do that. I'm sure it happens, but I really don't think it's that common. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if it's something you're concerned about, I would say talk to the farmers. They're probably yeah. not because also farmers have really tight margins and we don't want to add any extra cost. We don't need to. Mm-hmm. But also the meat in the grocery store is not going to have antibiotics in it. Yeah. Um, so, and then I think the other concern people have I don't know if I'm still answering your question or not. Yeah, no, this is great. um, People are also concerned about hormone use. Mm -hmm. It started in the 1900s and was really not well liked. It wasn't well accepted by consumers. So hormone use in cows has gone down a lot. And all it is is it's an implant that you put in the cow's ear um, that releases estrogen. And it releases different levels of estrogen depending on the cow's age. So if it's something you're interested in, again, talk to a farmer. However, if you do choose to buy your meat from a grocery store and you're wondering, I do have some numbers that might give you some peace of mind. So the estrogen produced by the female body is about 5 million nanograms per day. Mm. A lot of foods have estrogen in it, like eggs. So eggs Mm. have over 3,000 nanograms of estrogen. When we look at a serving of beef that did not have any added hormones, it's about 1.8 nanograms. Wow. Like 1.8 compared to 3,000 in an egg. It's so small. Mm -hmm. So then if a cow did have the hormone implant, the amount Mm -hmm. of estrogen in a serving of beef from that animal, it doesn't even double. It's like 2.5 nanograms. It's so, so small. Um, and I hope that just gives people peace of mind that yeah. if they were to buy meat from a source that 
did use the hormone implant, it's it's really insignificant. Yeah. However, <laughs> a lot of farmers are moving away from that. We personally don't use them and have never used them. Mm-hmm. And I think I know of one or two farmers that have that sold um, to like a large meat packer. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're still doing it or not either. Mm-hmm. There's other ways to improve efficiency now through genetics and stuff like that. Yeah. So I see a lot of farmers moving away from that. Yeah. That also just like makes me think of like, I feel like it's easy for people, especially if we aren't informed to just like hear certain words and immediately feel like, oh no, that's horrible. Like I don't want hormones in my food. Or it even makes me think about like, oh, I want my food to be like chemical free. But then it's like, okay, well, if we look at a banana and what makes it up, there's going to be chemicals in it. Or like, oh my gosh, processed food. And it's like, well, if you're using protein powder or really any food that's not just like straight from the, you know, branch or whatever. So I think a lot of it is like pausing before we just jump to conclusions of like, oh my gosh, there's hormones in it. Because I think all of what you just shared is so helpful too, to see like, okay, well, it's not this like toxic level or an amount that even is harmful. And there's other foods out there that have so much more than beef even has. Exactly. And another thing I'll add just along the lines of labeling, Mm -hmm. see labels, especially with pork and poultry that say no added hormones and no antibiotics there. It is illegal to use hormones or antibiotics (laughs) and poultry and pork production as a whole. So it will never have any in it. And if you see a brand that's marketing their product as being hormone and antibiotic free, for like a higher dollar amount, it's there's it's just no, doing that for money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So that I remember learning in school. So my um, undergrad degrees in food science, and we were in like the same call, like the like quote unquote college at Clemson that was like agriculture college. Um, but I remember learning when we were learning a lot about like food labeling that like. There's so much, I think it was especially like what's on the front of the label maybe, but like so much that's like not even regulated where it's like, you could just put things like, even I see sometimes like sparkling water has like gluten-free on it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I hope this water is gluten-free. Like why would it have gluten in it? But I think it's easy for things like that. And then you see like, oh, well, this is $4 more, but you know, there's no added hormone. So I'm going to buy that one. When in reality, it's like, okay, well, there shouldn't, there's not hormones in the one that doesn't say no after hormones. So save the $4 and get that one. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. That's also that interesting. True. Um, so one last question I have that, um, I did, I told you this before we hit record. I did a solo podcast on this a few months back talking about like organic versus non-organic and, you know, is it really important to buy organic? Is it not? And kind of some of the actual like truth behind it. And so I'm curious, um, yeah, kind of your thoughts on that, especially when it comes to like beef and cattle of like, are there significant differences when it comes to like organic versus non-organic, or is that another one of those things where it's like at the end of the end of the day, it's all still meeting these like health requirements. It's just charging yeah. more money to get the organic one. So the thing with 
meat being organic versus conventional, which is not organic, is yeah. it's all regulated by the same people. Mm-hmm. So why would they regulate one and say this is healthier, safer, and mm-hmm. then this is still regulated by the same people and say that like this is less? Yeah. Um, so the thing is, organic is just a farming method. It's just how certain people choose to raise their animals. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the meat is safer or more nutritious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of have a hard time sometimes with the organic movement, especially when it comes to livestock, because there are so many rules. It's really hard as a farmer to feel boxed in if I don't believe that that is what's best for my animal. Yeah. So if I have, we had a calf that was sick last calving season, I can't not treat that cow with antibiotics. Mm, that is, wow. It's not ethical to me. Yeah. I have to treat it because I have to do everything in my power mm. to save that animal's life. Mm-hmm. So some farmers may choose to treat the animal and then sell it and not have it go through their meat program. But to me, I think every farmer has to make a decision based on their farm and what's best mm-hmm. for their animals with the resources yeah. they have. And our intention is always going to be for the the meat that we produce to be safe mm-hmm. for the people that eat it and for the animals to be raised ethically for mm-hmm. for them to have a good life. Um, because, it, you know, we want them to have a humane life when they're alive and we want them to have a humane death when they pass. So, yeah. Um, and we have, we've brought calves in our master bathroom and nursed them back to life. We bathed mm. them in the soaker tub. We yeah. wrapped blankets um, and kept them warm in the house when we knew they weren't going to make it. We mm. care so much about every animal's life. Yeah. I don't think it really matters if it's organic or conventional. Totally. The farm, the farmer behind it who raised it still mm-hmm. wants it to be safe and they still care about the animals. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you said all of that. Cause I think that's another one of those avenues where it's like making informed decisions is so important. Cause if some people still want to buy all organic, like that's fine, do your thing, but yeah. at least you're able to know like, okay, organic doesn't necessarily mean healthier, more sustainable, more ethical, all those sort of things. So then being able to see like, well, maybe I could save, you know, however much money at the grocery store if I'm not buying all these organic meats and produce and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of fear mongering about organic. And we've seen some, it hasn't necessarily had a great benefit because instead of people choosing to still eat nutrient dense foods like meat and produce, they feel if they can't afford organic, it would be safer for them not to eat it at all. Yeah. It's not, that's not true. And it's totally not healthy. We want people to be eating really nutrient dense foods. So <clears throat> if you don't want to buy organic or you can't afford to buy organic, mm-hmm. then the conventional options are still going to be safe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for just sharing all your like wisdom and knowledge with us. I feel like I think I've said this probably multiple times throughout the episode, but it's just so helpful to for listeners and for people to have actual true information to then take it, do with it what they want, 
make informed decisions um, mm-hmm. instead of kind of feeding off what we may see on like Google, Instagram, documentaries, all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you um, for giving me the opportunity to talk about beef. I yes. love talking about beef. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so where can people find you if they want to learn more or follow along? Yeah. So we have a YouTube channel called The Misfit Farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, we upload videos there occasionally. We haven't yeah. been about it recently, but we're we're going to try to do better about that. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Michelle Schrader underscore, mm-hmm. and you can find us on our website, SchraderAcres.com. Amazing. And I'll have all that linked in the show notes. And then, so we all, I know you said y'all sell meat directly to consumers. So is that through like farmer's markets where you are? Is that through like, how do people buy meat from you? Yeah. So right now we're selling at farmer's markets and locally, but mm-hmm. these boxes behind uh-huh. me at Thai are all shipping supplies. So we oh, are going to cool. start shipping our meat uh, this fall. Amazing. Really fun. Amazing. Well, yeah, we will have um, all your information in the show notes so people can continue to learn more from you. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining today's episode on the free method podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review that helps others discover this message of freedom. Share this with your friends and make sure you tag us on Instagram at free method nutrition. And if you're ready to start your own journey to freedom, I'd love to offer you a free call to chat with me about your health goals. Head to freemethodnutrition.com slash free call to schedule yours. We will see you in the next episode.